Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 Welcome along to another episode of Dirty Vegetables. In this episode, we are going to be covering the topic of fashion as it links to veganism. So the main points we're going to cover are what's wrong with the fashion industry? What should we be buying? And finally, finishing off by talking about slow fashion. So the question that we're going to be focusing on is... Is it important to consider every form of animal exploitation in veganism? But before we do that, let's do a check-in. So how's it going? It's going good. Monday's a good day for me because... Always? Well, do you know what? Just today. I was born on a Monday and... (laughs) 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 And (laughs) And I've noticed recently... But I don't get that Monday morning feeling that a lot of people say they get when they're like, oh, a week ahead, Monday morning. Oh, what a drag. I actually have this like crazy burst of energy on Mondays. It's kind of like my hyper day. I'm really like hyperactive on Mondays. And it's a good day for productivity. I get a lot done on Monday. And I think it's maybe because I was born on a Monday, came into the world on a Monday. And I think also specifically to where I am right now, we have retreats over the weekend which are enjoyable but energy draining to have so many people here and having to coordinate so many things and they leave on a Sunday afternoon and they're firmly gone on a Mm. Monday and it feels nice because then it's just the community of volunteers here and we've got the whole place to ourselves until the next retreat comes the next weekend and it's just this kind of like nice feeling I think the Monday blues come from people who work Monday nine to five. I think that's which have have you worked that before? Mm-mm. Have you ever done the Monday Mm-mm. Friday grind? Maybe that's why. I am currently in the Monday five nine to five, but I, I don't get that either because I'm not like not mm. enjoying the job. Do you know what I mean? So I think when people are like get that Sunday night horror <laughs> Like, oh no, <laughs> not tomorrow. That's when the, mm. the fear of Monday comes in. Although I always feel like good on a Monday. I think it's always a good new start. Yeah. This is a new start of the week. You can be whoever you yeah. want this week. This could be the new you. This could be the best week yeah. of your life. But the best week of your life doesn't really start on like a Thursday, no. does it? Like, I, No, I totally you agree. Know what I mean? <laughs> um, and one day or day one. Isn't that a good one? <laughs> <laughs> like one day I'll do this. Or day one, let's start this. Just do Do it. it. (laughs) Pretty much. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. (laughs) That's what we just got to live by. We got to live by. I've got a new hobby I want to tell you about. Yes. Yeah. At the weekend, I went to a boxing class, right? And a proper, like, giving up alcohol. And then she said this line at the very end saying what's the word like gritty gym like a proper big men were taking it they were like screaming like get down on the ground and it was so good (laughs) it was proper good like it was so intense but like in the best way where you came out going oh my god like I feel great look at me (laughs) I was just gonna say I can really feel it do you know what like I go to the gym and I'll work out my arms and stuff and I feel like I do it quite well but see the feeling I get right now the pain but like good pain this like I can feel it in my shoulders I can feel it in my back it's like it's hit all those spots that I don't really know how to work out sometimes <laughs> so it's mm. really like oh, I can feel it in my abs I can feel it everywhere it's great great that sounds really good I often say I'd like to do a self-defense um mm, course yeah because if someone attacked me heaven forbid I don't know how well I'd protect myself 
Yeah, I feel the same. A top tip is, um, and this is in no offence to people with epilepsy, I've worked alongside people with epilepsy and I know the ins and outs of that condition to some degree, but a top tip that my mum used to give me was if someone was attacking you, you should pretend you have epilepsy and fall down and have an epileptic fit and it would freak them out enough that they would abandon mission and you'd be oh, okay that's, yeah that's a mad one i i've often thought like if you just scrape lines scream but if you did something really weird if someone came up to you like, like they'd be like what is going on yeah exactly same Do idea you know what I mean? similar sort of thing <sighs> so the dirty ingredient of the week which is an ingredient that we think is really amazing and that we use quite a lot in the kitchen. And this week it's going to be tahini. And tahini is basically sesame seed paste. So sesame seeds are a really ancient food and were cultivated in India since about 5000 BC. Sesame seeds are grown all over the world, but the best seeds come from Ethiopia, actually, where they are called Humera seeds. So the most common uses for tahini, a big one is making hummus, which you may have seen recently. I made hummus for the first time on our Instagram. It was a very exciting experience. But also you see a lot in Middle Eastern dishes as well, often just as a sauce. It goes on a lot of like pita breads and things like that. If you go into Middle Eastern falafel sort of joints, that's where I've seen it quite a lot, along with chili sauces and tzatziki. Um, they kind of go together very well those sauces so how do we use it how do you use it Rachel yeah tahini is one of those things that I love to have in the fridge and I love to just add it to things I often drizzle it over salads um, or some sort of bowl with different vegetables and a grain and I like to drizzle that on top I like to use it to make salad dressings quite often mixing it with some sort of acid and oil and salt um, and also I think it's really great in Asian cookery. I often make kind of like a a sauce where I combine tahini with um, soy sauce, maple syrup, uh, lime juice and a little bit of sesame oil. And it's really, really nice with like fried rice. Recommend that. Um, and here, specifically where I am at the moment at Shambhala, they do a tahini layered cheesecake and it's divine. The tahini layer sometimes has lime in it, sometimes it has vanilla, and then there's a chocolate layer, and then there's like a cheesecake base we've made out of dates and things, and it's really, really quite good. Ever since you sent me that recipe, one time me and Rachel had a, it was during that time everyone was Zooming, and we had like a double date Zoom dinner, do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) We made the same meals, and one of the things was that salad out of who else ferns cookery book <laughs> and it was with tahini sauce and that's like maybe the first i think that's the first time i'd ever used tahini maybe like i've always got a jar of in the house but i really don't use it that often but in those sauces when you mix it with like soy and that sauce had like tahini soy sauce garlic and ginger and spring onions and it was just and sesame oil and like lemon i think oh my god unreal like such an amazing flavor and I remember I I make that salad pretty frequently actually because it's so nice and we made it for Mm. it wasn't that salad but we made a similar salad one time for other friends we had like a dinner party and like we'd made a big I think we made like tacos we made like a whole big dinner and this was a wee salad on the side and that was what was talked about (laughs) the whole time the rest was kind of ignored like oh my god that salad and it just elevates it doesn't it all those flavors are just so amazing. Oh god! Yeah. But um, apart from that, yeah, I love it on falafel. Like I said, where you get it in those like wee falafel shops. See that over like a pita bread, like a stuffed pita bread with like loads of like aubergine and stuff in it. Oh, unreal, unreal. But yeah, I used it um in my hummus, which I made like a week or two ago for the first time. It was very exciting, very very exciting. <laughs> And then I got hummus out of a shop like the next week and it was just like, it's just not the same. (laughs) Simply not the same. I couldn't believe it. Although I think maybe that just wasn't a very good hummus, maybe. It wasn't the Sainsbury's organic one. So it wasn't 
<laughs> wasn't my fave, but anyway. So where to find it? You can get tahini sort of anywhere nowadays. You can get it in normal supermarkets. And as always, the Asian supermarket often <laughs> supplies it as well. It's full of nutrients. It's got a lot of vitamin B, E, magnesium, iron and calcium. And has a lot of good fats. It is a healthy fat. Um, nuts and seeds contain so much healthy fat because it's oil that naturally derives within the seed or the nut so it's not added fat or it's not synthetic in any way or processed in any way it is naturally within the item and tahini i really believe that they just do some sort of extraction method um with the paste like well they make the paste and through that it kind of extracts a lot of its own oils out and that's how sometimes you have to give the jar if it's good quality tahini you have to mix it because it will have separated a lot and yeah, it's healthy fat, healthy fat, like olive oil. That's why olives are good because all the oil is within the olive. Yeah, I was very aware of that when I was making my hummus. Did I mention <laughs> I made hummus? Um, so obviously like chickpeas are like, like low fat, whatever. They're just chickpeas, beans essentially. But then I was putting loads of olive oil in and then I was putting loads of tahini in. And I think even though I know it's like good fat, it still seems like really high fat. Do you know what I mean? no. It's like, no. <laughs> I don't feel that way about those things. Alrighty, Roo, that's that. <laughs> no, I don't feel that way at all, actually. I really don't. No. I think it's mm. healthy somehow. I, people, like, spread olive oil on their body, on their whole body. Like, and, and I, sesame oil it. is used in Ayurvedic massage. Yeah, but it's different eating it than putting it on your back. A wise man said here that your skin is just many mouths oh, oh. <laughs> i thought there was like another poor... part of that comment but... <laughs> it's, no, it's just like your pores are like mouths that are open your body your skin eats what you put on it and that's why you should you shouldn't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't eat is what ayurvedic mm. people say which is why they use all natural products and a lot of people here abide by that um quite a lot but I'm not quite there because I really rely on a specific range of face products that have a lot of chemicals in them and I really feel like they have revolutionized the way my skin mm. looks and feels and I haven't had such face theory um it's a really great brand vegan cruelty free very sustainable I think they're carbon neutral now as well and um I discovered them when I was having horrendous skin issues like I kept on getting breakouts uh, many years ago and then I bought like a whole regime of them you know like the cleanser the toner the serum the day cream the night cream the targeted spot cream all this stuff and my skin was transformed and then for a while um because I haven't had an address because I've been moving around all the time all my products ran out and I hadn't bought new stuff so then I just went into this chemist and I bought stuff that looked quite nice it was like bio and organic and pomegranate and stuff I was like oh maybe this will be just as good no it's not just as good my skin has been terrible ever since I've started using that stuff and I've done a huge 100 euro order to face theory of loads of stuff that's going to be arriving soon and I definitely don't think it'd be healthy if I ate any of that but I'm still going to use it that is so interesting <laughs> you said that right because I used that face theory moisturizer I remember actually you were at my house and you said oh my god I used the same moisturizer mm -hmm. anyway and it recently ran out so I went into Boots and bought a Boots one and the past maybe that was maybe about two weeks ago the past week I've had loads of spots around my, my mouth like all around my chin and all I'm like, why am I getting all these spots? And then I realized, oh my God, I literally just changed face creams there. Is this something to do with it? Very likely. So starting off with the question, what's wrong with the fashion slash textile industry? And we've got to start with harms to animals. And just to say, a lot of this I've taken from PETA. Their website is in our show notes, of course. So please check them out if you want to read more. Um, but yeah, a lot of the things I'm going to say here, I've taken from them as a source. 
yeah, the animal involvement with making textiles and making clothes. I think um, this is something that a lot of people are like, is it really that bad? Especially with things like wool. So if we begin with wool, um, the problem with wool is that um, the shearers, i.e. the people that take the wool off the sheep, are typically paid by weight and not by hour. And this means that they are trying to get through the sheep as quickly as possible to cut off as much wool as possible. And this means that naturally they're not necessarily that gentle with when they're handling the sheep and it leads to a lot of cuts and lacerations on the sheep's skin as the shearers are, f- are quite roughly and frantically getting the wool off as quickly as possible. And another issue with the wool industry is that often sheep are left cold in fields because they've had their wool taken off at the wrong during the wrong season, all to get as much weight as possible to sell to the clothes makers. So that's why there's problems with wool. And then there's other things. The leather industry is just an extension of beef and milk, the beef and dairy industries, which we've spoken about at length in previous episodes. And these cows, when they've been killed, they then get skinned and that skin gets um, sent off for leather. So all the issues to do with the welfare and the production of cows for beef and for dairy is all directly linked to leather as well. So if you're wearing a pair of leather shoes, but you call yourself a vegetarian because you don't eat beef, well, your leather shoes, there's no way that you can disconnect them from the meat industry or the dairy industry you just the two are always going to be linked together small animals are often kept in cages for their entire life for fur foxes and bunnies and animals like this um, often feathers to make a variety of different things that have feathers most notably warm winter jackets or cushions or duvets um, birds are held down and their feathers are pulled off them while they're still alive in many cases. And yeah, this is to name but a few. There's also um, crocodiles are getting skinned um, for their crocodile skin shoes, crocodile skin bags, which is an animal that in many countries you wouldn't consider eating. Um, So all of this is done in the name of fashion. And if animals have been involved with the production of your clothing or your accessories, there's just no doubt that a lot of suffering will have been um, incorporated into the process. So... This is why veganism often extends to animal products for clothing as well. It's not just what you eat, it's also animal products into what you use and what you wear. I think wool is a really interesting one because it's not a direct killing of the animal to get to the product. So, you know, like a cow has to be killed to get its skin off. So I think leather is, everyone kind of knows that's not very good for the animal. Whereas a sheep still survives once they've sheared it. Yeah, and ultimately probably the sheep are, if they're not producing enough wool anymore, then they'd be killed for meat. Um, Or, yeah, at some point the the animal is certainly going to get killed Mm. when it's not profitable anymore. I think a lot of people just think wool is fine. And I did for a very long time as well. I didn't think that was any problem. And also, even if you think about wool, just like the way humans use it, you envision a little granny knitting a jumper it's such a wholesome experience of a wee granny with her wee ball of wool knitting away you know with a wee cup of tea like it's a very wholesome thing to think about whereas leather isn't really considered in that way as much maybe just because it's a fluffy material as well it's this fluffy warm cozy sort of thing that there's a disconnection from any suffering could go on with that as well so yeah fashion when it's using animal derived materials um, is really 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 harmful for the animals but it's also worth mentioning that it's not just harmful for the animals it's also um, harmful for the environment especially fast fashion the new york times describes zara's mission to take only 15 days for a garment to go from the design stage to being sold in stores so these like fast fashion shops are they're you know the clues in the name fast fashion but they're trying to get garments out as quickly as possible in as large quantities as possible and all this use uh, all this production that's going into this fashion has negative consequences and to name a few starting off with um, carbon emissions according to the business insider fashion production compromises 10 percent of total total global carbon emissions as much as the european union 
It dries up water sources and pollutes rivers and streams, while 85% of all textiles go to dumps each year. So this overproduction of things to try and keep up with these kind of arbitrary trends, um, the majority of it ends up in dump anyway. So it's just a fruitless, never-ending cycle. Find out something quite interesting that a lot of the times, like Boohoo and stuff, if you buy their garments and then send them back, they let you just throw them out. They don't resell them. So if there's loads of people who will like buy loads of things and then just decide what they want to wear, or there's a lot of people who buy things, wear them and then send them back. And it's literally just going in the bin. Like how insane is that? Things that I buy, clothes that I buy, I have them for about 20 years. (laughs) I find it so hard to part, part with them. Even if I just, I never return things either. Although to be fair, I usually buy things in charity shops, but... I think Sheen is one of the worst ones. It gets really, really bad. Yeah. Misguided as well has been in the news loads about overproduction and just not caring about the environment. And I think recently they hired Kourtney Kardashian as like sustainability ambassador. So really it's just like (laughs) trying to get people to buy it. It's not like an environmental choice at all. It's really weird. Anyway. Yeah, I think that Kourtney Kardashian is just greenwashing yeah. to the highest degree. Oh, and also, what, like, what knowledge has she got about the environment at all? Like, that's not to say that she can't be knowledgeable through reading information or something or educating herself. But I have no, I don't think she's ever done any sort, sort of sustainability degree or something like that. You think they would get someone a little bit more relevant that is actually directly linked with the environment, like try and get Greta Thun- Thun- Thunberg, perhaps. <laughs> so, yeah. These 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 fast fashion um, outlets, yeah, especially ones like Boohoo, Misguided, Sheen, they are overproducing textile. They're overproducing clothes. I'll just go into some of these a little bit further. So, water. Yeah, the fashion industry is the second largest consumer industry of water, requiring about seven hundred gallons to produce one cotton t-shirt and two thousand gallons of water to produce a pair of jeans. Like that's like. Huge amounts of water. That's insane. Huge. That is insane. Um, and textile dyeing is the world's second largest producer of water, since the water left over from the dyeing process is often dumped into ditches, streams, and rivers. And in terms of microplastics, there's synthetic fibers that are often used in fast fashion, mostly because they're a lot cheaper. And things like polyester, nylon, and acrylic, and they take hundreds of years to biodegrade. There was a report in 2017 from the International Union for Conservation of Nature and it estimated that 35% of all microplastics in the ocean come from the laundering of synthetic textiles like polyester, which is quite frightening, Mm. really. Yeah, and just continuing with, with the point of waste and how much of it ends up in landfill. Yeah, the world consumes 80 billion new pieces of clothing every year and 400% more than consumption 20 years ago. And the average American now generates 82 pounds of textile waste each year. So bad. Also in terms of energy, um, the production of turning microfibers into textiles, like what I just said. And also in terms of cotton, um, this is a highly used product in fast fashion. And this isn't really environmentally friendly either because it uses huge amounts of pesticides for the growth of um, cotton, which we know can then lead to um, these leach into rivers, which go into seas, which cause enormous dead zones. So yeah, fashion is really, really, fast fashion is really, really environmentally harmful and also very, very harmful for the animals. As well as all the environmental things, there's a lot of social impacts of fast fashion as well. And you've probably heard about this. I think a big story that sort of the news caught was about Primark and how much of the clothes were made by people who were just paid absolutely nothing that lived in horrible conditions. Because a lot of companies will outsource source fashion to less developed countries and therefore won't have to pay as much won't have to pay their workers fairly 
And this is a big, big problem. I remember actually hearing about somebody buying something from Primark and finding a note from one of the workers in it saying like, help me. Like to that extent, it is so, so bad. And actually one one thing that sort of overlaps with the animal products as well as the social impacts, and that's the tanning of leather, which, you know, a lot of people think that, I think we might get into this a little bit later, but a lot of people think that leather is this natural product like you were saying before like it's this n- natural thing that's sort of always been around and you know it's a really good quality product but to actually tan leather it takes loads and loads of chemicals and it's a really labor-intensive process and people actually end up the people that are tanning the leather like I think it's like dyeing it isn't it will actually end up with serious health conditions because they're breathing in all these chemicals so they're getting like problems with their lungs problem with their health and not only that they're getting paid like so such little amount of money like not a living wage at all so yeah a lot of problems all in all with fast fashion and the fashion industry in general So yeah, moving on to our next point, which is what should we be buying? So yeah, vegan fashion is on the rise, but it's really important to note that just because fabric doesn't involve animal exploitation, this doesn't mean that it's the most sustainable and ethical thing to be doing because the points we just made before, a lot of um, fast fashion is using synthetic fibres, which are full of microplastics and they've got a whole host of environmental and social issues. So what should you be buying? Well, uh, here I want to do a little ode to hemp. Um, hemp is a natural plant fiber um, from the stems of the cannabis plant. In terms of sustainability, hemp is the least harmful to the environment. Um, the hemp crop requires a little water to grow and replenishes soil nutrients to help improve soil health. It's biodegradable and is one of the strongest textile fibers. And what's more, hemp fabric offers insulating anti-radiation and antibacterial properties. And yeah, just talking about hemp, um, we met this guy in, in Ibiza and he was obsessed with hemp and he was really passionate about starting a hemp business where he makes clothes out of hemp and he already buys like pretty much everything he wears from um hemp clothes brands even his bed sheets were made out of hemp and he just kept on talking about how this was the future because it's biodegradable this was a point that came up a lot these clothes if they do end up in landfill or if you're finished wearing them and you and they're just so soiled or damaged that you couldn't possibly wear them anymore they will biodegrade um, which is a really, really nice kind of circular idea, um, I think, of it going back to the to earth. And yeah, just in terms of how labor intensive it is for this this fiber to grow, it's it's yeah, it does seem like it's it's a winner in terms of sustainability. Do you own anything made out of hemp? And oh, to hemp. No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> Potentially, but I've never really thought about it that much but I've been looking into these different materials that brands are now using and it is absolutely insane like there are people who are absolutely revolutionizing the fashion movement at the minute and I'm really hoping that this continues to grow so there there's so many innovations using really obscure materials so one of them is there's this brand called Milo on leather I think they're the biggest brand that are using these like like mycelium fungi so essentially they're using mushrooms to make leather which again it's like like hemp it biodegrades it's completely natural and it's indefinitely renewable so it can it'll just keep it'll just biodegrade and then go back into the earth which is amazing and also it doesn't exploit animals obviously the way normal leather does but the amazing thing about this is it's now being backed by really big brands like Stell McCartney like one of the the biggest fashion brands there is is now using this leather so that is such a big step forward and there's other brands using things like pineapple waste grape wastes from like old grapes from vineyards but this pineapple waste is called Pina Tex and there's brands using that for their fashion and these are high fashion so realistically the the average joe the normal person's not gonna be buying this because you're talking to jackets like two and a half grand but i really think that those big brands are they set the trends and then these trickle down to the normal people who are actually just going to be buying normal fashion things so that's what i hope if they start using this and start showing that these like pineapple waste or mushrooms whatever are like a luxury thing 
then maybe that's where the the movement can kind of change a little bit. There's also a lot of people who are recycling things. I'm sure everyone's seen this. I think there's a lot of sports brands that say like recycled bottles, but there is actually a bit of a, a problem with this because a lot of the times they will use bottles to recycle it, but it's actually this term, which I learned recently called downcycling. So the problem with this is that actually the clothes can't be recycled and they could have been before. So let's say they collect a thousand bottles and make a load of leggings with it. Whenever those people throw out those leggings, they're going in landfill. Whereas if they would have collected the bottles and recycled them, then they could have actually been used again. So it's sort of this sort of gray area little bit that's maybe not the best thing, but at least they're taking the bottles out of like the ocean because that's a lot of the time it is like they take it from the ocean. So it's ocean waste. So there is sort of a bit of a negative there, but it's definitely a positive thing that they're doing rather than using just flat out plastic in the first place. But yeah, so like like I was talking about these big brands, there's actually a vegan fashion week now, which I think is really quite cool, which is now hopefully like an every year thing. And they actually linked up with Ukrainian fashion week. So through it, they were supporting Ukrainians that had moved to America. And so that was a good social impact that they were making as well. And it was quite good because the whole this like, I guess, sustainable fashion week, they had like workshops at it. They had talks at it. So it was like a really good step forward. It wasn't just about fashion, which I think is really important as well. But it was about all of the amazing innovations and how you can live a vegan lifestyle through fashion and sustainability and things like that. So I think it was quite interesting and a good step forward yeah i haven't heard of that before that does sound great you can fashion week amazing yeah i think it's quite a new thing but this is we need to make these steps you know but i I listen promising i listened to a podcast recently and it's this chick peeps podcast you might have seen it it's with ivana lynch she's like a big vegan activist and there was a guy on it called joshua catcher and he's like he's got a fashion brand called brave gentleman um and it's completely vegan and he's a real like artist he's really really good speaker anyway and he talked about how it's such a marketing ploy almost the animal derived products even that term genuine leather genuine so like when people are constantly hearing this and say you go into a shop and you see a genuine leather pair of shoes and you see a fake plastic pair of vegan leather shoes, you're going to think, I want to be that genuine person. I want to buy the genuine leather. It's almost like a, a personal thing for people. And I think just it's been passed down through all the years that leather is the best thing you can use. It's the best material you can use. It's the strongest. It's the most durable. All of these things that you hear when really there's a lot of other brands that are using more innovative and products that aren't harming animals they aren't harming humans a lot of the time because these big brands that are vegan minded or sustainably minded they're not going to be exploiting their workers because if they're trying to make a brand that's sustainable and really like no harm to animals they're obviously not going to want to harm humans as well the problem with this is that you'll probably be paying more money for whatever you're buying so okay you buy a jacket and it's probably going to be more expensive for a number of reasons and one of them being that probably their workers are paid more. And at the minute, it's, you know, all research and development. There's a lot of money going into that as well, if it's like a vegan fashion brand. But, I, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of you, Rachel, because you said, I remember one time you bought something out of like, I think it was like anthropology or something. It was something like it was really expensive. And you were like, oh, I want to just buy things that I'm going to wear again and again and like it be like a real staple piece of clothing rather than just buying random stuff all the time and I think I heard that term from you that capsule wardrobe mm. did you say I that I don't know if I've ever used the word capsule but I think the concept of when you have like it's something something like you have like 15 items or something and it will last a lifetime and you can yeah that's yeah yeah that that is that yeah I think you you Maybe I taught did. me that word, capsule wardrobe. It, uh, I think I can imagine myself saying capsule wardrobe. I think wardrobe, you might have. Which is when you said it there, I was like, capsule wardrobe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was anthropology. Well remembered. It was uh, this uh, top. It was a top. Yeah. 
that had blue stripes on it. Not stripes. It's like um like tie dye blotches. Sort of. Yeah, tie dye kind of vibe. And it feels like it's a really natural fabric as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some like yeah. hemp in there, <laughs> which would just bring this all together. It has that feeling of it, that kind of yeah. almost rigidity. I think it might be linen, no? Could it be linen? Mm, maybe? maybe linen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is also, I think, better. It, it's really an expression of minimalism, which is becoming more and more important to me, which might sound like a contrast to what I said at the beginning of the podcast about my just buying 100 euros worth of skin products that doesn't seem very minimalist um admittedly but it's all stuff that i will use for the rest of the year and yet minimalism is just becoming like more and more important to me because it really feels like a massive step away from consumerism and this more 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 mentality and i just love buying a few pieces that i just adore and will wear again and again and again they're good quality they'll wash better I feel good about buying them and supporting those brands and their ethos and the fact that they care it just it makes it a whole much a whole nicer experience and it's really nice to disconnect from kind of this ultra consumerist world that we live in where we're encouraged to just continuously buy things and upgrade things and if you're doing that, you need to buy this and especially events. You said about friends buying like an outfit for a night out. Like I know so many people do that. And like, I feel like a good example of this is um, the festival that I went to in the summer. I feel like festivals especially are an environment where people feel pressured to, or perhaps they enjoy, I certainly enjoy feeling that they have to buy some really cool outfits for it. Um, and especially if it's a multiple day festival and if it's a day and night festival, that's lots of buying that can occur. And I feel like people automatically turn to places like Misguided or ASOS or Boohoo or whatever to to stock up on these cool outfits. But I actually tried to buy um my outfits the majority of them were or secondhand or vintage which was really enjoyable apart from one thing that I bought from uh jaded London which was really expensive it was a dress which cost 70 quid but I love that dress and I will wear it again and again and again and the vintage things I bought too were of really nice quality and they felt quirky and yeah I feel like I've spoken about this festival a lot on this podcast but it seems to be relevant a lot and that was a really nice way for me to collect some outfits that I would like to wear to festivals or maybe parties or things where I don't have to uh, kind of give in to the alluring nature of the fast fashion industry where you can get everything at your fingertips. Well, I think that takes us perfectly into our last point, talking about slow fashion. I think something we need to talk about is buying secondhand. So obviously like thrift shopping or buying from charity shops, whatever you want to call it, or vintage because I kind of think charity shops and vintage are often the same thing. <laughs> like you'll go into a charity shop and find vintage clothes. Or you'll go into a vintage shop and just find stuff you would find in a charity shop. Especially nowadays, it's becoming this sort of merge where a lot of stuff in charity shops or vintage shops end up being things from like Zara or Sheen or <laughs> Boohoo. You know, you've got all these brands that are not what people are looking for when they go into those shops they're looking for like the cool stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else and it's becoming really really few and far between but I think a big question is well how do you feel Rachel about buying secondhand wool or secondhand leather or just animal products in general yeah it's a good one I think that yeah the key thing here is is secondhand I would never ever now buy anything new with any animal derived um, products but second hand it does feel differently because I don't feel it's endorsing the the industry directly um, certainly indirectly but um, I almost feel like if we were to just send all of the woolen jumpers and let's you know like let's say it was a mistake for the previous generations to make so many things out of leather and wool and fur and feathers and it was a huge mistake and it should have never happened probably um although 
I'm, I'm going to go off topic for a second here. It must, it should also be noted that there are some people that live in some parts of the world where they really are limited with what they can make their clothes out of. Maybe they live in quite inhospitable environments. Maybe it's really cold and icy and they're relying mm. on making their own clothes out of fur. Um, often the fur from animals they've caught to eat. Um, and that feels different because that's a necessity situation and that's a survival situation. But in terms of us in the modern world, let's say that we never really needed to mass produce anything that was made out of leather or fur or wool or all the other things. But it happened. It shouldn't have happened, but it happened. And now we're in a situation where a hell of a lot of that stuff is in second hand. And I don't know if the solution is to throw it all away. Does that not mean that all the suffering that these animals had to go through, plus all the environmental effects as well in terms of dying and processing and washing and the social effects that are involved as well, was all of that put to vain? Was it to no end if we just throw it all away? Like, in some ways, it almost feels like... Um, it do- It feels different to me when it's secondhand because I feel like I'm... I'm I'm kind of honouring the animal and and in a way more and in more of a way than it would feel if it just all got thrown away. But I I this isn't a fully formed opinion and I find it quite a tricky one actually to decide exactly how I feel. It does feel weird to wear wool and it does feel weird to wear leather. Mm. But if it's stuff, if the only other alternative is to throw it away, I, I don't know. And also here up north in Sweden it's really 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 cold and uh, you know Nordic jumpers everyone's wearing these kind of knitted woolen jumpers there is a lady that was here before um, that previous head chef and she's from Norway and she knew that I was staying for the winter and she is coming back in the summer and she gave me a bag of winter clothes because she knows how cold it gets here and in and amongst those winter clothes were a lot of woolen jumpers and they do keep you really warm um, when you're in really cold environments. In a way I guess that makes me realise maybe why it happened in the first place. These things can make you feel warm and they can be comforting but we've now learned that the industry's terrible but wearing secondhand, I don't know, I haven't reached a, a concrete neat conclusion with that. What do you think? Yeah I feel um, very similar to you. Like I, like I wouldn't buy leather or wool firsthand. <laughs> But I wouldn't be opposed to it buying it from like a vintage shop. Like I wouldn't, like I don't think I've actually done it. And I, I buy probably, I would say, like 95% of my clothes from charity shops. Like I, I very rarely buy from like high street shops. But I think I've never bought wool. I don't think, I might have bought wool, but I don't think I've ever bought leather from a secondhand shop. But if I saw something I really, really loved, I think I might buy it. Although... It's a hard one. It really is. Like, I don't like the smell of leather that everyone talks about. You know, people love that smell of leather. I really don't like that. And I think that smell reminds me a bit that it's an animal because to me, it's not a very nice smell. But yeah, I don't think I would completely rule it out. And I think another thing, like on the back of that, I have clothes that I've had for years that are either leather, especially shoes. I've got like trainers I've had for like so long that are leather or I've got jumpers that are wool that I had BV before veganism and (laughs) I wouldn't get rid of them because of that I don't get the the benefit of that at all of getting rid of them like there's there's bound to be vegans out there and absolutely if this is what you want to do then absolutely do it how you see fit but there'll be vegans out there who will just get rid of all the products just like literally get rid of them i suppose if you're giving the, them to a charity shop then it's not so bad maybe but yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a pickle for sure and also another thing i've gotten presents before that have been wool or i don't even think leather but i think i've gotten woolen presents before from people so like what what do you do about that do you bring it back like you're not really gonna do that are you I think you just have to, I think with a lot of things with veganism, you do as much as you can do. But I think sort of at at the end of the day, whether you're buying wool or leather from a high street store or from a secondhand store, whatever. I mean, it's not technically vegan. It's not vegan, but it depends on your mindset when you're buying it. If you feel like you're going to give it a second lease of life 
and you're not really adding any harm in like you're not buying it straight up you're not funding the company that made it in the first place by buying it secondhand you're probably funding like if you go to a charity shop and you buy a leather jacket from save the children and you're giving money to a charity then it seems a little bit different it's kind of counteracting it a little bit i guess Mm. but it still does feel a bit weird if you're to buy it because it's in your head you know it's hard to get out of your head it is is really in the head it's yeah really in the head it's a hard one to be concrete about Mm. maybe some people think it's absolute and you just shouldn't wear it in any capacity and i get that and i do think i'm going that way in my future i see that for myself in the future like how i am with meat and eating animal products it's just an absolute like I couldn't imagine otherwise now. And I, th- I do believe I'll reach that point with any form because it does sit uncomfortably with me mm. when I wear things, even secondhand, that are made out of wool. But yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah. But slow slow fashion, um, just to give some context to what that is, it's, it's a direct protest to fast fashion and many consumers are choosing to opt for slow fashion, stepping away from mindless overproduction of clothing and choosing to create a minimal wardrobe of sustainably made durable clothing and buying secondhand or vintage. So that's slow fashion. It is booming at the moment. I think Emma Chamberlain, you know Emma Chamberlain? No. Whoa. She's a massive YouTuber. She's got like 11 million subscribers. I'm not as obsessed with YouTube as you are. True. Yeah, Emma Chamberlain, she is this like hugely successful YouTuber. And she is all about buying vintage. And I think she, especially because she's huge in pop culture, because she's only in her young, her early 20s, um, she's really propelled the image to kind of the younger audience as well it's becoming a very cool thing mm. to buy secondhand and you notice that I think secondhand like fit, charity shops used to be kind of where your soul went to die no one kind of <laughs> dreamed of like enjoying a mooch around a charity shop I don't know it felt like kind of like only something that old people did yeah. or um yeah pretty much only old people I'd say or or young children possibly I don't know like walking around and no cut out the young children part (laughs) um and now you'll see people of all ages in there especially millennials and generation z z people generation z people i love Um, to see and there is actually a a really enjoyable like here in sweden secondhand is huge it's immensely popular and they have these enormous secondhand shops like they're huge big big buildings and we went to one the other day on my day off and it was really, really, really nice. I got some hiking boots, which I really needed, and some yoga leggings, and some really, really good stuff that I that I really ne- needed. There was big, there were some gaps in my wardrobe, and um, it was so much fun. And there was people of all different ages there, and I really enjoy that now because it's like a place where the for people from different generations are interacting with each other whereas in the high street shops it might only be young people in there mm. whereas now it's kind of like this blending of different generations and there was like a there was a cafe in there and people were drinking coffee and it was just very sweet and nice and I and I love the excitement of buying secondhand you don't know what you're going to find and if you do find some gems then it's really exciting and if you find like the thing if I had in the back of my mind I'd love to get some hiking boots and then they had hiking boots in my size like there's nothing that can match that joy it's really joyful I often think like what's the story behind it where is this piece of clothing been it could have been on holidays it could have had someone could have fallen in love in that jumper someone could have broke up and had a heartbreak in that jumper someone could have gone dancing in the snow (laughs) there's a story behind it and I I like to think that there's some sort of energy that moves through through the piece of clothing to you when you're wearing it like some some wee magic I mean that's just a wee bit far-fetched but you, you never know you simply never know so to conclude, this episode has been looking at the fashion industry and how it links to veganism. And the main points of the episode have been, what's wrong with the fashion industry? What should you be buying? And is it sustainable to buy secondhand wool and leather before finishing off with um, 
slow fashion and how this is the way forward, a direct contrast to fast fashion. So the question that we've been focusing on is, is it important to consider every form of animal exploitation in veganism? What would you say, Carrie? So I think, yes, it is absolutely important to consider all parts of it. I think if you want to consider yourself vegan, for sure that encompasses everything. It's not just food. It's something you have to think about. What am I wearing? What am I putting on my body? How am I supporting these animal industries indirectly? And often those things are sort of hidden and you have to go out and you have to search for it. It's not as simple as like it's saying on the label animals in product or whatever. So yeah, it does take a little bit longer and especially also I'd like to get into beauty brands at some point as well because that's even harder to read the labels to know what's going on there. But yeah, I think when you're pursuing a vegan lifestyle, you really need to take everything into account. And I think a, something that's came up in this episode, which is really important, is also the social impact as well. So we are thinking about humans as well, what humans are being harmed in the process as well as animals yeah I think moving into that slow fashion realm is so much more beneficial for the planet as a whole and everyone on the planet than buying those fast fashion quick fixes that are really at the end of the day a way of fitting in in some way and maybe it's important to step back and think what is really important to you as a whole what do you think yeah I agree a lot with pretty much everything you said there in fact everything (laughs) Yeah, I think that at first my vegan adventure was very much just thinking about what I was eating. And as time has passed, I've become more and more conscious of the animals that are involved with what I wear. And yeah, I feel, like I said before, it feels incredibly uncomfortable to me now to um, buy any animal-derived products new and I think that very soon I won't really like to have them in my life in any sort of capacity because I do think that there is a big sinister industry going on there that's deliberately hidden from the public's attention. People, It's deliberate that people don't really have much knowledge or awareness about what goes on behind the scenes with the feathers in your cushion or the fur on your hood. Um, and it's a nasty, nasty business. And the more the more we can avoid it, the better for the animals and for the environment and for the people working in these horrendous conditions, making five pound T-shirts for Primark. So, yeah, I think if you call yourself a vegan, you have to consider every way that animals have been vo- involved with the things you eat and the things you wear and the things you use. Yeah, absolutely. But also be gentle with yourself and it's a process and you don't have to click your fingers overnight and have nothing. And I certainly wouldn't suggest that you just throw everything away that you have. Be mindful with where you put your things that you don't want to use anymore. It's so nice to see how the fashion industry is growing and changing and evolving. And I think fur fur is dead, literally. (laughs) Because people are sort of over fur now and maybe that's the next step to like leather is dead. Because people don't really wear fur anymore. It's very like... Okay, thank you everyone for listening. As always, you can email us at dirtyvegetables.com. Follow us at Dirty Vegetables. Or you can check out our website, dirtyvegetables.com for recipes and blogs and fun. Email, she meant to say, dirtyvegetables at gmail.com. What did I say? Dirtyvegetables.com. Oh, did I? at gmail.com thank you very much (laughs) thank you thanks bye everyone Bye. bye 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 driver